feel his spirit in this place today. Oh. Can we just take a moment and pray and thank the Lord for his presence in this house today? Father God, we love you. We're so grateful that we're able to gather in your name and to lift you high. Lord, we're thankful for all the many ways that you have watched over us and protected us. The way you've provided for all of our needs. Lord, the way you've walked beside us as we face a world that is uncertain. Father God, we pray that your presence continues to hover over this place. And that as we enter into this time of a message, Father God, that you would speak and that you would open our spirits to hear what you are saying to us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize, I'm a little bit of a mess this morning, but that's okay sometimes. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. You all look so pretty to me. I like all your faces, and I'm glad I get to be with you this morning. We're going to be continuing our series that we're calling 21 for 21. We've been talking about this idea of prayer and fasting and starting this year off focusing on God and what He wants to do in our lives. So here we find ourselves, middle of January, and this is about the time when most of us are starting to fall off of our bandwagons for our New Year's resolutions. Anybody here already fallen off your bandwagon on your new resolution? I, I cheated this year. I decided I wasn't going to make any resolutions because I knew that my resolve has an expiration date, and it's usually about right now. So I decided no resolutions this year. I'm just going to set some goals for myself, and I either hit them or I don't. That way I don't beat myself up over it. But isn't it amazing how many reasons we can find to not do those things that we know that we should be doing? Isn't it uh, funny how creative we can be? And we try so hard to figure out just why it would be easier to just turn on the TV instead of doing something productive. Or it would be easier just to indulge a little bit. Well, it is my coworker's birthday. I should just have a little piece of cake, you know. It, it's so easy to talk ourselves into doing what we know we shouldn't do. And part of the problem is we start off with something good. We have a good desire. We have a, a desire to make a change or make a difference in our lives. We want to move in a positive direction. But then that intention runs up against the reality of what that's actually going to cost us to do that. And a lot of times when we get to that point, when we say, well, I didn't know it was going to be this hard, well, that's when we start to kind of back off a little bit. Well, maybe I didn't mean what I said, or maybe I can just lower my standards a little bit. And let me tell you something, we hit a wall, and all too often that can be the end of all of our good intentions. Well, that happens not just in our everyday life, but that also happens in our spiritual life as well. Sometimes uh, we find ourselves hitting a wall, and um, that wall, though, this idea of a wall, that's what we're talking about today, is a prayer wall. Now, walls can be a positive thing. Walls can provide us shelter. They provide us protection. They can give us privacy. They define spaces so that you know that this is where I work and this is where I relax and this is where I rest, you know, and, and so they can define your spaces. So walls can be positive things, but they can also be an obstacle that keeps you from getting to the place where you want to go. So I want to start by painting a little scenario for you and you tell me if this sounds familiar to you at all. So you desire to pray 
And so you think, okay, I'm going to spend some time with God. And you get down on your knees or you get off by yourself and you're ready to pray. But then it just feels so awkward. And uh, it, it feels hard and it doesn't come naturally. And it comes, becomes kind of a burden to you. And so you, you are tempted to just give up. And then you feel guilty because you even thought about giving up on something as important as prayer. And so then, um, you, you, out of a sense of duty, you just push through and you're like, well, I'm going to pray anyway. But because you're not praying from a place of, 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 of true desire and because you're trying to push your way past some obstacles and some things that are keeping you from getting to that place where you want to be in that relationship with God, you just you feel you, your prayers are empty, they're lifeless, they just don't feel like it's supposed to feel, and then you feel even more guilty. The harder it is to pray, the more you neglect spending that time alone with God because it's just why would you put yourself through all of that hassle and all that trouble, and then you feel guilty about that. You begin to feel alienated and cut off from God because you're not daily in prayer with Him and you feel even more guilt. And because you're not in tune with what God's trying to do, then you start trying to figure out your life all on your own. I don't know what God wants me to do because I'm not hearing from Him. I'm not spending that time in prayer with Him. And so you start trying to do it under your own power and, and that makes it even worse. Yet you still believe in prayer. If you, if you were to talk to one of us, you would say, yes, I believe prayer is important. Um, you talk to other people about it. You pray, and you, you know how necessary prayer is in the life of a Christian. And so the result is we have two parallel lives. We have that public face that says, yes, I believe in prayer. I, I, I think this is important. I think it's a worthy thing to pursue. And then we have our private life where our prayer is dead and lifeless, and we feel hypocritical because we say one thing, and yet we do another. Is that a fair description of your prayer life sometimes? I say that it probably is, and I know this because I've lived this myself. There have been times when just getting on my knees before my father was such a, a struggle. It took a, a, a supreme effort of will because I wasn't doing it from a place of, of, of desire. I was doing it out of obligation, and there were things that were, there were obstacles that were preventing me from entering into that relationship with God like I needed to do. And you might say, well, you're a pastor. How can you say that you had trouble praying? Well, let me tell you something. When they give you your minister's license, they don't also give you God's cell phone number. You don't get to just text him and you don't just get to call him up. I have to go through the exact same processes that you do if I want to get in touch with my father. But the, rea the reality that many of us face is that we have a desire to pray. We really want to pray each day. We believe it's important in the life of a believer. We believe it's important for our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and in ordering our own personal, private worlds. We receive letters from missionaries and from Christian organizations and prayer requests from friends, and we say, yes, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to go before the Father. I'm going to lift you up. And yet, we fail to put into practice what we say that we believe. So this morning, I want to talk to you about a few things, some obstacles that might come up, those walls that might prevent us from praying in the way that we should. And so these will identify these bricks in the wall that come between us and God. So the first obstacle that can come up when you are trying to enter into prayer and you're trying to be in right relationship with God is just simple disobedience. John 14, 21, this is the words of Jesus here, and he says, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. 
Those are familiar words to us, but they convey to us a lot about prayer. And you might say, it doesn't even talk about prayer, but it does, because Jesus says he will reveal himself. How do you think God reveals himself to us? He reveals himself when we are in that right relationship, when we're spending time with him, when we're talking to him, when we're going before him. That's when God opens our eyes and reveals what we need to hear. In this passage, Jesus tells us that our love for him is expressed when we are obedient, when we are obeying his commands. That's when we are in the proper place where God can reveal himself to us. And I don't know about you, but I desire God to reveal himself more clearly every day of my life. But the flip side of that is that, that if we disobey, the opposite is true. God will not and cannot reveal himself to us if we are not being obedient. And so you might say, well, God, why is it so hard for me to pray? Why is it so hard for me to come to you? You're my father. I love you. Why is it so hard? Well, maybe there's some disobedience in your life that is stopping you, preventing you from reaching heaven's throne. Look all the way back at Adam and Eve. As long as they obeyed the commands of God, they had a very special relationship with Him. They walked with Him. They were intimate. He, he came and spent time with them in the garden. But once they, uh, once they disobeyed God, that special relationship that they had, it went away. Through their disobedience, they brought sin into the world and they built a barrier between themselves and God. Now, in their case, it wasn't a physical wall, but it was an angel with a flaming sword. Now, that sounds cool, a little bit scary, but that's pretty cool, you know, from a, from a dude's perspective. You know, I'd like to have a flaming sword, but I don't want anything standing between me and my father. So in the garden, they lost that intimacy. They lost revelation and they lost relationship with God. Proverbs 28.9 says, Anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is detestable. Did you hear that? If you are disobeying the Father, when you pray, it is detestable to him. He doesn't want to hear that. And, and, and that's, that's a strong feeling. I never want to be in a place, I never want my choices to put me in a place that when I come to God, he says, get that out of my face. Get that away from me. That's detestable to me. Because you're saying one thing with your lips. You're saying, God, I love you. God, I, I want to serve you. God, I worship you. You are holy and, and, and I want to honor you with everything I do. But your actions say otherwise. And so God cannot be around that. We look further in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 18. This is when Solomon had completed the temple. And God appeared and, and gave a special message to Solomon. And let's read along here. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon that night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so that there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open, and my ears attentive to prayers from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple, so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. And as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, doing everything that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man ruling in Israel. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I needed God to be just that clear with me. 
And, and I'm also grateful that we are not still bound by that same way of getting to God. We don't have to travel to a temple to get in touch with our Father. We don't have to go to a particular place if we want to talk to Him. We can talk to Him anytime, anywhere we like. I talk to my Father when I'm vacuuming the house. I talk to my Father when I'm driving down the road. Anytime I need to, I can just say, God, I got something on my heart and I need to, I need to unburden myself to You and I need Your help. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. And he's always there for us. But there are conditions to that special relationship that God has granted us. In the New Testament, it says that we're the temple now. We don't have a physical building we go to. You yourself are the temple of God. And so, but if you want to stay in that special relationship, that special place, there are conditions. You must be humble. You must seek God's face, not his hands. And we'll come back to that later. We've got to seek his face, not his hands. And also, we have to repent. We have to obey. And if we will do all of those things, then God will hear us. And so disobedience, it takes us out of a place where God can speak into our lives. And I don't know about you, but, but that is, I, need, I need God speaking into my life as much as I need food and water and air to breathe. You know, I, I was praying this morning as I was preparing for this message, and I just said, God, this, this last year has been a doozy. It, it has brought multiple challenges, things that we never anticipated. And I don't know how I could have walked through any of it if I hadn't had God's comforting, guiding hand with me the entire time. So I want to leave you with this on, on the idea of disobedience. If you entertain sin in your life, then your prayer life will suffer. If you are walking in sin, you cannot know intimacy with God. Let me say that again. If you are walking in sin... You cannot know intimacy with God. Your prayer will be a struggle, and God will find your prayer detestable if your walk reveals that you do not really love Him. So you, you can't expect God to listen to you or when you are being disrespectful and you are not doing the things that God requires of you. So disobedience is the first brick in the wall. And so if you find yourself in a place where it just feels like my prayer life is dead, the first thing you need to do is examine and see, is there anything in my life where God has given me a clear direction and a clear guidance, and I have disregarded that? And if so, you repent, you make it right, and God will forgive that and restore the relationship. The second thing in our life that might prevent us from having the prayer life that we desire is disordered relationships. Now, we know that sin can hinder prayer, but listen to these next two passages and see what they have to say about prayer. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Now, that might seem a little backwards to us, because we think, well, God should come first, right? I should put my relationship with God before any others. And so here I am, I'm at the altar, I'm offering my prayer and my praise to God. I'm, I'm, I'm coming before my Father because I want to be in a right relationship with Him. But God says, look, you've got some other business that you need to attend to first. And so if we want to be in a place where we can hear from God, we have to make sure that our relationships are proper. Matthew 6.15 says, If you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. It's not because God doesn't want to forgive you. God went above and beyond to provide a way to forgive your sins. He sacrificed His very Son for your soul and for your salvation. So it's not that God doesn't want to forgive you, but if you can't forgive others, then you are denying yourself access to that forgiveness for yourself. 
Jesus is saying here that if you come to pray and there is a disordered relationship in your life, then go and take care of that first because the result is if you have disordered relationships, if you have uh, a contention and strife with another human being, then that is going to cause difficulties and walls to come between you and God. They will arise in your prayer life. And, and even more than that, Peter speaks very specifically about prayer when it comes to marriage. In 1 Peter 3 and 7, he warns, If a husband does not respect his wife, and if he fails to love her as Christ loves the church, it says then a hindrance or a wall will arise in his prayer life. Think about that. The next time that you're arguing about which way to hang the toilet paper on the roll or what's the right way to drive, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't important and we make big, big issues and big deals out of them. But we have to make sure that our relationship is right. And I don't know about you, but as a, as a man, you, you have that responsibility as the head of the household. And so you need to make sure if anybody in your house is in a right relationship with God, it needs to be you because everybody else is going to follow your example. And so we have to ensure that we are honoring our spouse. We are honoring others and we are treating people the way they're supposed to be. So disordered relationships can be the reason that we hit the wall in prayer. It might be a relationship that needs a fence mended. It might be a relationship where you need to apologize. It might need, uh, 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 you might need to forgive somebody. There's a lot of reasons why our relationships can get disordered. There's a lot of things that can come up when we're interacting with people. You know, I, I hear people all the time talk about, well, I like church, but I don't like Christians. You know, I used to go to church, I enjoyed it, but then someone hurt my feelings. Somebody was talking about me behind my back, or somebody stole my seat, or, you know, whatever it is. We, think, we can think of a million reasons why all of a sudden we're going to allow what someone else does to prevent us from walking in the life that God desires for us. And so we have to make a decision at that point. Am I going to allow someone else's choices and someone else's actions to prevent me from approaching my Father and being in right relationship with Him? We cannot do that. You might have a relationship that needs some healthy boundaries. You know, sometimes we have to reassess a relationship and we might need to say, you know, that person isn't so good for me. When I'm around them, it doesn't, it doesn't grow my faith. It doesn't help my maturity as a Christian. It does the opposite. It's a hindrance. It's a struggle. It's hard for me. And so sometimes we have to put up some boundaries in relationships. So examine your relationships and bring them before God if you want to knock down the walls that are preventing you from your prayer life. You cannot be in harmony with God and also in contention with those around you. Let me get, make that clear. You cannot be in harmony with God and also be in contention with those around you. The next thing that can cause us to not have the prayer life that we desire is dodgy motives. And you might say, well, that doesn't make sense. Anytime I pray, I'm doing it for the right reasons. Even if I'm just praying out of obligation, I'm doing it for the right reasons. But often our prayer life becomes difficult because we are going into prayer and we're going before God because we have our own reasons. We have our own things that we want to get out of it. We're, it it's, it's almost manipulative. We're trying to get God to do what we want Him to do. And James, he doesn't let us off the hook for that. He, he, he calls it out. And he, he names it. So if you're, going, if, you, if you're a snowflake, if you get your feelings hurt real easy, you might want to turn your ears off for a second because he lets both barrels go right here. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. 
you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. We come so many times seeking God's hands and not His face. What are our hands? Our hands are our tools. They're our way that we change and we do things in the world. They're the way we interact with every object around us. And, and it's the same thing. We look to God. We want to see, well, God, what do you have for me today? What provision are you going to give me today? What blessing are you going to give me today? What answer to a prayer are you going to give me today? And we look at God's hands instead of looking at his face. But the face reveals so much more about a person than their hands. I could see pictures of each and every one of your hands. I might not even be able to recognize who you are, but if I see a picture of your face, I know who you are. And that's the same reason why texting and and phone calls, they'll never be as good as a face-to-face interaction. Video chat gets pretty close because at least you can see the face. But when you can see someone's face, you can hear the inflection in their voice. You can see the eyebrows raise or you can see the grin. And so you know that they're being sarcastic or funny or making a joke. Or, or, and, and so it's easy to not misunderstand someone. The face is the window to, to communication. It's how we communicate. And so we need to make sure that when we're praying and when we're going to God, we're not looking for his hands. We're not looking for God. What can you do for me today? We need to go into our prayer closet saying, God, show me your face. I want to know who you are. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to understand everything you're saying to me with perfect clarity. And so that's why we have to seek God's face. Sometimes we come to God with a shopping list and then we pout and we sulk when we don't get what we ask for. Now, I would never be so petty, but I'm sure some of you have probably been like that. But, but the reality is, is that sometimes we, we find ourselves in a place where we're upset with God because God's not doing what we want Him to do. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you're not in charge. He is. He's the one with a plan, and He's the one that's going to bring the, the, the good and the, and the provision and the blessing in your life. But you have to be patient and let Him have control. We get nervous. We want to take that wheel back. When I was in driver's ed, uh, we had a special car that they used. And, and I, I hated driver's ed because my driver's ed, was a, my, my teacher was the football coach. And so if you didn't do what he wanted you, he, he'd smack you with the clipboard. Which you're already nervous and you're driving and, and getting smacked with the clipboard was never fun. But anyway... The point is that car was modified and it had a special, uh, it, it had a, a, an extra brake pedal on the passenger side. So he didn't have a second steering wheel, but he had that brake pedal. And it was very frustrating when you're driving and you're trying to be smooth and you're trying to get your actions down and do it the right way. And, and, and then all of a sudden he would slam on the brakes and throw you off completely. But we do that to God. God is the, in the driver's seat. He's the one that's steering the car. He's the one that's taking us where we need to go. And yet we get nervous and we stomp on that brake pedal and we say, God, I don't trust you. God, I can't uh, trust that you're going to get me to the place I need to be. Lay off that brake pedal and let God be in control. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 records Jesus' first miracle. And I want to look here at what Mary's role is in this, in this miracle. Mary, his mother. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. She didn't even bother arguing with him. She just said, just do what he tells you. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification, and each contained 20 or 30 gallons. 
Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and he told him, everyone sets out the, the fine wine first, and then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So in this passage, Mary comes to him with a request, a prayer, if you will. And I want you to note the, the process that, that, that she went through. First, she, just, she came to Jesus. She said, hey, there's a problem. I know the guy who can fix this. So she went to Jesus. All right. And then the next thing, she didn't, she didn't tell him what to do. She didn't say, this is what I think you should do. She just said, hey... There's a lack of wine. She just pointed out what they lacked. She pointed out the problem and said, hey, this is your problem. Let's deal with it. And then she left it in the hands of Jesus to do as he pleased because she knew that he had a plan, even if she didn't know what he was going to do. And she said, look, she said to the servants, just do what he tells you. So she made arrangements that whatever God said would be followed through. And so, you might think there's nothing out of ordinary with that sequence, but let me contrast that with what we usually do. We usually go to Jesus with our problems. We go to God and we say, God, I need your help. That's a good start. But then we start saying, and God, by the way, here's how I think you ought to fix it. I think you ought to heal this person. And I think you ought to do it last Tuesday, you know. And we start telling God what he's going to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with being specific in your prayer request. There's nothing wrong with say, not just saying, well, God, I want you to bless me. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I need a financial blessing, you know, because I'm struggling right now. Or there's nothing wrong with saying to God, I need a touch in my body because I'm sick. Or I need you to intervene in this relationship because I'm at odds with this person. There's nothing wrong with being specific. But there's a difference in telling God how to do his job. And so we use prayer sometimes as a mean of giving our instructions and our plans to God, but we do it from a good point. Well, I was just praying. I was just giving it to God. Yeah, you were giving it to God, but you were also giving him the instructions and you're not in charge. We say that we're depending on God to answer, yet we do not trust him to answer in any way other than how we requested it. And when God answers according to his will, we either fail to see the answer because it doesn't look like what we were expecting, or we've given up because God took longer than we wanted him to. And so we find ourselves in a place, this difficulty, this wall arises in our prayer life, not because God is not answering us, but because he's not answering us the way we want him to. It was a wrong motive in prayer, and that's what leads to this wall when it comes to God. So when you come to pray, you need to make sure that you're going to God with the right motives. You need to make sure that you're seeking his face and not his hands. You need to come not with the answer already worked out with, plan, with a plan, step A, B, and C, and God, this is how I want you to do it, and I want it done by next week. You know, God doesn't respond to that because he's, he doesn't have to listen to you. He's in control. But we just have to trust him because he is our father, and he's working for our good. He knows what's best for us. You know, I, I tell my son many times, uh, I said, I know that you're almost grown, you're, you're 16, you're 17 years old, you're almost an adult, but your brain is still developing. That, that part of your brain that gives you good judgment and gives you wisdom, it's not all there yet. It'll be there someday, you're a smart guy. But until you get to that point, you can borrow mine, you can ask my help. I know you don't want to because dads are terrible, right? You don't want to listen to dad, you don't want to listen to someone else's advice. But sometimes we need to listen because they know better than we do. 
God knows better than we do what we need in our lives. And so we have to trust Him. We cannot let fear be the driving factor of our prayer life. Fear and anxiety will rob us of the faith that we need to activate our prayer life. And it will cause us to give up on prayer entirely if we let it take over. We have one more thing that, that we're going to talk about that can be a wall in our life. But if the musicians would like to come on up, we're going to get started here. And we're going to talk about this last issue, which is discipline. Sometimes it's a, a lack of discipline or misapplied discipline that becomes that wall or that barrier in our life. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus tells a parable that teaches us something about, important about prayer. Now, he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not to give up. He said, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Now that is some pretty callous that, that is a callous individual to just say, I, I don't care what God says. I don't care what people say. I'm going to do what I want to do. But I'm going to do what this widow asked me to do because otherwise she is going to wear me out. Anybody ever been worn out by somebody before? Then the Lord said, listen to what that unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Jesus uses this parable to teach the disciples about persistence in prayer. One of the reasons that we have difficulty in our prayer life is because we're not a disciplined people. All you have to do is get on a diet and let someone put something sweet and good looking in front of you and you know just how disciplined you are. It takes every ounce of self-control sometimes not to eat that cookie or to not eat that entire pint of ice cream. I, for you, I've never done that. Never. But the point is, is that we have to make sure that, that we don't just give up easily. We have to stick with our prayer. And sometimes the fact that we give up too soon is what keeps us from having that breakthrough in our prayer life. We can't allow the fact that we're worn out and we're tired. And guess what? At the end of the day, we are. We're worn out and we're tired. It's been a long day. We've been at work and then we came home and we took care of our family and we took care of our personal responsibilities and, and maybe we had a few minutes where we could sit down at the end of the day and put our feet up and finally just uh, melt into the recliner. But we can't allow physical uh, tiredness and physical uh, exertion to prevent us from continuing in our prayer life. In sports, they talk about something called muscle memory, right? You train and you practice in something so much that it just becomes automatic, right? If you're a golfer, you, you learn how to, how to get in your stance. You learn how to hold the club. You learn how far back you need to come with the swing, and you know how to follow through. Or the same thing if, you, if you're a football player. They, they get you so that they, they train the quarterback so that when he moves, his feet go to the right place so that he can plant himself and so that he can deliver the ball with accuracy. And, and they train and they practice over and over and over again so much that it just becomes instinct. And sometimes when you are under pressure, you don't even realize that you're doing it, but you've trained and you've practiced so many times that that's just what comes out of you. When the moment, when you need it, that's what comes out because that's what you've prepared for. A perfect example of this 
is a few years ago, some of you know that there was an accident and Brandon Roberts was, was shot in the foot. And, and this is a perfect example because when that happened, I mean, I, I've never been shot, but I can't imagine all the many things that go through your mind. But I can tell you this, Brandon told me his very first response was he said, I need someone to pray. So what did he do? He looked around the room and he said, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. And when they didn't know, they stood there and they were just shocked. And they said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. He said, fine, just get over here and hold my hand. I'll do the praying because I know that that's what's needed in this moment. And that's what's needed in this instant. And when the people around him couldn't do it, he reached out. He called his church family and he said, I need you to pray for me and I need you to pray for me. And that's just what came out of him because he knew that he couldn't get through a crisis situation without God on his side. And so he had trained for that moment. And then when the crisis came, the response just came naturally. We need to develop develop not a muscle memory, but we need to develop a prayer memory. So that when someone comes to you and they say, look, I'm really struggling. I'm really going through this. You're like, I know what we need to do right now. We need to get on our knees. We need to pray. We need to take this to our Father. That will only happen if you persistently practice prayer over and over and over again. Prayer doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to use flowery language. You don't have to say the right words. You don't have to be in a certain position. You don't have to be on your knees. Being on your knees sometimes is helpful. Closing your eyes sometimes is helpful. You know, even sometimes getting down like David did and laying face flat on the ground. Sometimes that's helpful when you're praying because it helps you uh, show God what you're doing. It puts your body in, in alignment with what's going on in your spirit. But that doesn't mean that it has to happen like that. Sometimes we just pray, and when we make prayer a daily part of our life, it will come natural to you. Um, I know people that, you know, because they never pray out loud, they, they're very nervous. If you were to ask them to stand up like Brother Danny did at the beginning of service and say a prayer and open a service, they would be so nervous because they, don't, they never pray out loud. They only pray to themselves. They only pray in the, in the quiet of their closet. I know some people that they don't even pray out loud. They will only pray internally in their mind. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're all different. We all have our own ways of talking to God. But we need to make sure that whatever your way of getting in touch with your Father is, you need to make sure that that line is open. You need to make sure that that line is frequently used. You need to stay in touch with what God is trying to say to your life. When when we do that, there will be no hesitation when we need God. When we need God right now, and there are instances in every single one of our lives where we need God right now, We can't hesitate. We can't say, oh, now, how do I pray again? What what, what do I do? No, it should just be natural. It should open. You should be able to open that line to heaven in an instant. And finally, let me read one more verse to you uh, that talks a little bit about discipline. This is when Moses was leading the Israelites across the Red Sea. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. And you might say, that doesn't make sense. God's telling Moses to quit praying. But the problem was, is that God was already moving. He was already making that plan. He was already providing a way for them across, and they needed someone who could lead them across. So Moses wasn't needed anymore on his knees. God already said, I'm on this. I've got this. Now I need you to get up and go do what I've asked you to do. And so sometimes we wonder, what on earth that, you know, are we supposed to be doing? Moses was still praying when he should have been up leading the charge, when he should have been up showing people the way that, 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 that God had provided. 
And there are times when there's a wall that arises in our life because God has already given us an answer and yet we're still on our knees because we're not sure that we like that answer. We're not sure that we trust that answer. We're not sure that, 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 that God really said that. God, did you really say that? You really want me to do that? And so we're uncertain and we don't move forward. And it takes discipline to train ourselves to say, okay, God, you said jump, I'm going to jump. God, you said go talk to that person, I'm going to go talk to that person. God, you said pick up the phone, I'm going to pick up the phone. God, you said to make a sacrifice, I'm going to make that sacrifice. It takes discipline to train ourselves to do that. And we have to have the wisdom to know when we need to persist in prayer and the wisdom to know when we need to just shut up and do what God has asked us to do. Do you ever get frustrated when someone asks you the same question over and over and over again? Kids are really good about that. Oh, Dad, I want to go to I want to go to Burger King today. No, we're not going to Burger King, son. We got food at home. Dad, I'm really hungry. I really want a Whopper. No, we're not going to Burger King today, son. I've already got plans. We're going to make dinner. And, and we get frustrated because they ask over and over and over and over again. Let's not do that to God. We know how annoying it is when people do it to us. Don't make God have to pull out his, his dad trump card and say, because I'm the dad and I said so. When he asks you to do something, obey and follow through. So in conclusion, whether you are a brand new believer or whether you are a seasoned saint, there are times that your prayer life will be a struggle. But it doesn't have to remain so. At its core, prayer is simply communication. It's just talking to God and letting Him talk back to us. But you know that when you're talking to somebody, you have to listen to what they say. You know, there's a lot of conversations where you're talking to somebody and you end up talking past each other because you're not hearing what they're saying. You're not taking time to see things from their perspective. You're trying to impose your own interpretation of the events and you have no room in your, in your life and in, in, in your mind and in your thinking for what they're trying to say. And we can't do that to God. So just, just like we can learn how to improve our communication skills, you can take a training course. If you want to learn how to communicate at work or communicate in, in, in your relationships or, or communicate to your children, you can, you can learn how to improve your communication. And we can learn how to improve our communication with God as well. We learn how to tune in to what God's trying to say. But we have to quiet ourselves first. And when we do that, the walls that cut us off will come down. Now, in just a minute, we're getting ready to take communion. And if you all want to go ahead and stand and prepare your elements. Many times when we come into a time of communion, we are asked to examine ourselves. We're asked, asked to look at our lives and see, is there any sin in my life that isn't under the blood? Is there anything in my life that is, is, uh, is, is a, 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 it's not right with God? Or is there a relationship? You know, have, am I at odds with someone? But I want to ask you today, as we go into this time of communion and you examine yourself, I want you to examine your prayer life and see, have I allowed some building blocks, some, some stumbling blocks to come and build a wall between me and God? Is the reason that I feel like I don't hear from God because I'm not disciplined or because I'm disobedient or because I have disordered relationships or because I've got dodgy motives? Any of those things can prevent us from having the relationship with God that we desire. So when it comes to prayer, have you allowed a wall to be built between you and your father, a father who loves you, a father who's working for your good, a father who 
sent his son specifically to reopen the lines of communication so that we could have the intimacy, we could have the revelation, we could have the relationship just like Adam and Eve had back in the garden. God wants to reestablish that with you. He went above and beyond to provide a way for you. And so if that's you, if you've been in a place where you felt like, when I pray, I don't feel nothing. I, I, I don't hear anything. I, I, it feels dead. It feels like a waste of my time. It feels like I'm just going through the motion. If that's you, maybe one of these stumbling blocks is what's preventing you from hearing God's voice. And so today, those walls can fall. So as we prepare to take communion, go ahead and get your elements.